If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to the book of James. Starting the fifth chapter tonight, that's the final chapter of James. We're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we'll cover the first uh, cover the first six verses. And if you've been studying ahead of time, or if you're familiar with the epistle of James at all, you may know that this is a frightening text of Scripture. The section is a warning of the rich. It's an advisory of how the misuse of money or of monetary assets can cause the downfall of any saint. Now you may say, Brother T.J., well, I don't, I don't have any money, so this, this can't be a lesson for me. I'm not rich. Or you may say, being rich doesn't even fit into the future or into my future, so I don't know how this can even apply to my life. But that would be a gross misunderstanding of the text that we're fixing to go over. These six verses that we're fixing to cover tonight, they aren't just talking about what will happen to the people who have already possessed such things. It's also condemning the ways people go about trying to possess such things. So for that reason, rich or poor, this section of Scripture has something to offer everybody in here tonight, no matter what your financial state is or, the fu- or your future. So with that being said, let's go ahead and read chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. It says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your wealth is ruined, your clothes are moth-eaten, your silver and gold are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasure in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of Yahweh of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. Okay, now I just told you a few seconds ago that this was a frightening section of Scripture. And the reason I say that is because because it's another one of James' tests. Remember throughout the epistle we have been examining ourselves with what seems like a myriad of tests. And this is just another one that James offers to examine ourselves and to see if we're in the faith. And while there are many lessons and tests to look at and examine our lives by, this one's about money, and it's very practical. It's a very practical one because each and every one of us in here can relate to it in one way or the other. One way or the other, everybody in here deals with money. Our relationship to money can tell us all kinds of things about our relationship with Yahweh. I can think of a couple places right offhand that talk about a division in our relationship with Yahweh found in the Gospels. One is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. It says this, it says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there also your heart is. Now we can, we can learn a couple of things from that passage. One, Heaven doesn't have moss, and two, heaven doesn't have thieves. I'm just teasing about the, I'm just teasing about that. I'm pretty sure about the thief part. I'm pretty sure they won't be there, but the moss, may, they may be there. I think the part to be gleaned of the verse is for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this could be, there, there couldn't be anything more true than that. Arnold said this in the past, and it's always stuck with me. He says, if you want to see where a man's heart is, you follow his money and you follow his time. That's always stuck with me. I think those are awesome words of wisdom because your actions always speak the loudest. 
doesn't matter what you say. You say you want to serve Yahweh. You say you love Yahweh, but your actions will always tell on you. It never, it never fails. They speak the loudest much more than words that come from your mouth. And basically, Yeshua is saying the same thing here in Matthew chapter 6. He says, if your heart is set on heavenly things, so will your actions be. You're either heaven-bound or you're earth-bound. Which one, which one are you concentrating on? So you can't be both. And in Luke chapter 16, Yeshua reiterates this in verse 13. He says this. He says, no slave can be a slave of two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't be the slave of both Elohim and money. See, the two are mutually exclusive. James alluded to this back in chapter 4 when he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility with Yahweh? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes Yahweh's enemy. Once again, the two are mutually exclusive. There's only one, there's only one God, one mighty one, and that's Yahweh. If your actions point your allegiance to money or the world, then that's your God. It's a false God, but nevertheless, it's still your God. You can't be the slave of both Yahweh and money. This is a point that is made over and over again throughout the Gospels and the rest of Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, we are all slaves that have been bought with a price, and that price is the blood of Yahweh's own Son. If our allegiance is to anything other than that, tonight we're talking about money, of course, or riches, but if our allegiance, our passion, is with, is with any other thing than Yahweh's own son, then we're guilty of idolatry and we're serving a false mighty one. And by the way, don't be afraid of the word slave. I use the word slave. Don't be afraid of the word slave. We are slaves. Slave's another word for the word servant. We are slaves or servants that are ever indebted to him if we've been redeemed by the blood of his own son. We are indebted to him. There has been a non-perishable blood spilled for the redemption of our lives, and therefore we owe him for something we can't pay back. And for that reason, we can only offer our lives in servitude. That's all we have to give him. We owe a debt that we can't pay, so by default we're slaves. Now, I don't want to go too far off on a rabbit trail here, but, but the point is we're slaves to the master, and we simply can't have or serve two masters. So keep that in mind as we go back. I'm going to read verse 1 again. Keep that in mind as we go back to verse 1, James chapter 5. It says in verse 1, it says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. So James hones in on the rich here, and just like in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, Come now. As if to say, Listen to me. Pay attention. That's just pointy screaming at you. Come now. Listen to me. Hear what I've got to say. Yeah. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. In other words, listen to me and be terrified about what's about to happen to you. Be scared. This phrase calls for some sackcloth and some ashes, some tears, some crying, some repentance, some pleading with Yahweh. James almost sounds like Isaiah in chapter 15 when Isaiah brings the oracle of destruction on Moab. Isaiah says this in Moab, to Moab, and it, it says this in, I think, uh, chapter 15, verse 3. It says, in its streets, they wear sackcloth. On its rooftops and its public squares, everyone wails, falling down and weeping. And in verse 2, prior to verse 3, it says, every head is shaved, every beard is cut off. These are all signs of distress. It's, the, it's signs of mourning, of fear, of terror, of Yahweh and His judgment that has overtaken Moab. 
Well, James warns, warns the lost children of Israel here the same way. He says, mourn and wail over the miseries that are upon you. In other words, be fearful of the coming dread. You rich people. Yahweh is dissatisfied and His judgment awaits you. Why? Is it wrong to have money or nice things? Is it really wrong? Is it wrong to have a thousand cows or a hundred donkeys? Is it wrong to have a thousand servants? Is it wrong to have people tend your flocks? Those thousand cows that you have, the hundred donkeys that you have, is it wrong to own slaves to tend those flocks? Well, I don't think so, not necessarily. See, there's a difference in wealth and a wicked wealth. Wicked wealth is what James is referring to here when he says, Weep and wail for the miseries that are coming. And we're going to see we're going to see why in verses two and three. Let's read that. Verse two it says, Your wealth is ruined, your clothes are moth eaten. Verse three, it says, Your silver and gold are corroded. Okay, stop right there. So many times when we read the Bible, we just read it without asking ourselves what it means. What's he saying? What's what's James talking about? We just read it. You know how you can block out your mind? You read a whole entire chapter and you don't even remember what it says. Well, I know I do that sometimes when I'm reading the Bible. I read four or five chapters, don't even realize what I've read. I have to go back and reread the whole thing over and over again. I think they call it ADD. I don't know. But uh, if that's what it is, I, I meet up with it. I do it with my kids all the time. I know you can do this. When they were little, we'd take a road trip to the beach. I've got five youngins jabbering in the back of the car. They're just running their mouth nonstop. They're talking about this and talking about that. The whole time that they're running their mouth, I'm building a house somewhere. And by the time I get to Florida, I've done built two of them. I never heard a word they said. That, that might not be a good thing, but my point is I can block people out like that. I've been able to do it since they were little bitty kids. When a child starts screaming, a, a daddy has a natural instinct. He can shut it off. Just like that. I can be watching the Braves game. They come in and talking, and they, man, they carried on a three-hour conversation. I hadn't missed the first pitch. Every one of them. I've seen them all. So I think a lot of times people just read through something, and they don't think. The same way with the Bible. When you read something, you just don't think. You're, you're just reading it. It's just words to you. You go through chapter after chapter after chapter, and you've never understood anything that it says. When we should stop and say, what does James mean? What does Paul mean? What is Yeshua trying to tell us right here? What is Moses talking about? So right here, right now, I'm asking you to listen to what James is saying. You'll understand this if you'll just listen. Is he saying that it's wrong to have clothes or silver or gold? He's just told these people to mourn and weep because of the miseries that are coming. He has singled out the rich people here, and he has told them to weep. Because of why? Well, the answer is in the rest of verse 3. Let's read it. It says, and their corrosion will be a witness against you. You and you will eat your flesh, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You stored up treasures in the last day. So it's the corrosion of these things that James is getting on to these brothers for. Not for having clothes, not for having gold, not for having silver, but for the corrosion and the ruin of them. Why is that? Or better yet, what causes metals to corrode our clothes to become moth-eaten. Not using them. That's what causes them to corrode. Storing them up and hoarding them. That's what causes them to corrode. They are stored up or set away and not used. Clothes that are worn and used are not set long enough for moths to eat on them. 
you have to put clothes in a cupboard or in a, I mean, in a closet in order for a moth to land on it. They're not eating them up while we're wearing them. That doesn't happen. Almost everybody in here has used a shovel. Most everybody in here except tank men. I know they've used shovel. Everybody in here has used a shovel, or at least you'll understand this. If you use a shovel every day, does rust ever get on it? No. It'll never rust up as long as, as, long as it's being used. No, only when it's stored and not used, that's when it'll decay, and that's when it'll start to corrode. It's that same way with the clothes. Like I said, as long as you're wearing them, moths don't land on you when you're walking around. They're not eating your clothes up. What happens is you store them, and then all of a sudden they start to ruin. Well, two reasons come to mind of why somebody would even pile up silver or store up clothes. The first one is for clout or prestige or rank. We've been talking about this throughout the book of James, and we covered it, talking about the the man with the precious hands and rings and things like that. We were talking about that and how, how um, he would do that for, to, to improve social status and maybe somebody would set him at the, you know, at the front of the, the assembly so that he's noticed. We talked about that. And, and um, I think that, that in order to be prestigious in the eyes of people or in the eyes of peers, that some pe- other peers, people might do this also. Maybe that's what somebody would do this for. The same way with his clothes, he may store up clothes so that he might have an array to choose from when he goes to pick for something, you know, pick something out to wear so that he's noticed and thought highly of. And the same thing is true today. When we look at a man wearing Armani or Gucci or Ralph Lauren or some big name brand stuff, we automatically think that he has money. Automatically think that he has money. It's, it's the way we're made. And it's the way that they were made too. Remember not too long ago, Matthew taught on Luke chapter 7 and verse 25 and 26. Yeshua says this, he was talking about John the Baptist, and he asked, he says, he's talking to the, to the people, and he says, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft robes. That word soft means luxurious. That's, that's, that's what it means. He said, do you go out to see somebody dressed in soft robes? Meaning someone who lived in a luxurious life. No, he tells them, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury, they're in royal places. He was telling them that John wasn't like that. But it's automatic to us. If, if someone tells you a king's coming, what do you look for? You look for a crown. You look for a crown. Nobody looks for rags. Hence the reason that Yeshua was mistaken. One of the reasons that he was mistaken. The promised king was promised. But nobody looked for a servant. Nobody looked for one of those. So because of this mindset people have about riches and luxury, this might be the driving force for one to accumulate for himself riches and a lot of luxurious clothes in order to build for himself that reputation. Or at least be seen among men. The second reason I think a man might hoard for himself treasures is because of lack of faith. If someone is scared of calamity and the fall of their wealth, they may hoard what they have and attempt to preserve what keeps them at the top of the food chain. As believers, we shouldn't doubt that Yahweh will provide all of our needs. We don't need to store up and accumulate wealth for fear that we won't have it one day. That's, that's not what we should do. No, Yahweh will provide our every need. Paul says, I know what it's like to have little, and I know what it's like to have a lot, and I've learned to be content with both. That's what we should do, is learn to be content wherever we're at. Not hoard money so that we can maintain a lifestyle that we love. Because then we love the lifestyle, 
and the money that produces the lifestyle rather than the blessings that Yahweh's given us and enabled us to eat, to raise our children, to clothe them, to feed them, that sort of thing. Now, Yahweh will provide our every need. Also keep in mind that by storing it up, you neglect the poor and the needy. Instead, if you would share what Yahweh's blessed you with and give away the abundance that you have, then because of your faith, Yahweh will continually pour into your lap more than you could ever store up. That's what Yahweh will do. You don't have to store up money. You don't have to store it up. Yahweh will give you all that you need. If you're faithful to Him, faithful in the little things, Yahweh will give you all that you need. But that's not what these rich people James is talking about. That's not what they've done. He says, silver and gold have corroded. Why is it corroded? Because they've been sitting, it's been sitting still too long. They've stored it up. In other words, James is saying these rich people have piled up a treasury and neglected the poor in order to maintain their stature in society. Or maybe because of the lack of faith, they've piled up riches for themselves. Well, whatever the reason, because of this, the second part of verse 3 says, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. In other words, the corrosion is proof that you stored these items up and without them, from your, and withheld them from your fellow brothers or people in need. And like I said, these things are used and not stored. They won't corrode or become moth-eaten. A coin, a metal, anything metal, it's not going to rust. As long as it's running through somebody's hand, they're rubbing the rust off of it constantly, just like the shovel. And the shirts and the clothes that you need, all that you need, as long as it's on your back constantly, constantly being used, it doesn't have time for moths to break in and, I mean, or to come in and eat it. Neither does it have time for somebody to break in and steal. That's not what James says, but going back to what Yeshua told us to do. The part that says they will eat your flesh like fire, I believe, is a metaphor, meaning that they will be, called, they will be the cause of your destruction. The word fire symbolizes destruction. In other words, your wealth perishes. It corrodes and it's destroyed, and you perish with it, eaten away in the burning pain of hell. Then the last part of verse 3 says, It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. In other words, on the day of judgment it will be revealed that they have lived their lives heaping up earthly treasures when they should have been heaping up heavenly treasures in the last days. By the way, how many people know that we're in the last days? They were in the last days too here when James is writing this. Yeshua's already come. He's already died. He's already been buried. He's already been resurrected. He'd already taught for three years. He'd already died a sinless death. He'd been raised victoriously. He'd presented himself to the Father as an unblemished sacrifice. He had shown himself to the apostles and confirmed this ascension from the grave, and he had commissioned the twelve to go and to share the good news. So the Messiah had already come once. And they, just like us, were awaiting his second coming. They were in the last days, just as we are in the last days today, waiting his second coming. So all of this had taken place. The proof was there. Everybody had heard about it and was waiting. And yet these people were still doing the horrific thing of hoarding their riches, knowing that their time was limited. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish before him. Some translations say, while you wait for these things, make sure that you're found blameless. Wait for what? Waiting for the second coming of Christ. That's what? He's saying it's not as if you don't know 
You did all this stuff knowing that you're waiting for the second coming. You remember the ten virgins? Five were wise and five were foolish. Five filled their lamps. The other five didn't. It's a parable of of ten people that are waiting for the second coming of Christ. Five were smart enough to wait for the I mean to fill up their lamps, and five weren't. They were waiting for the bridegroom to come. That's what we're doing right now. We are waiting for the return of Yeshua. And if we if we find ourselves participate in the ways of the world, we're wicked. We're wicked. We don't trust in Yahweh that his son's coming back. He's going to send his son back. He's going to send his son back. And he's going to reap the harvest of the elect. The ones that are righteous, those are the ones that he's going to reap. Let's read verse 4. Verse 4 says, Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who reaped your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of Yahweh's host. Uh-oh. It's not just that they're greedy and want riches for themselves or that they're faithless and they store up riches thinking Yahweh won't give them any more. James says there's a second sin involved here. Basically, they're stealing from the ones that made them all the money. They're taking it from them. The word look, the word look here in the Greek, I'm not, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think it's Ido, I-D-O-U. And it means to see, but it's in the second person. And it's like saying, behold, look. Look at what they've done. He's calling attention, attention to the disaster that they're bringing on themselves. He says, look at what you've done. As if to draw static attention to the matter. Not only have you stored up the treasures, you've even robbed the poor that made you rich. The ones that are in view here are probably day laborers. I, when, I, when I think about this, I think about day laborers just like you would hire a day laborer. How many people have drove past Home Depot on Buford Highway or... Panola Road or anything else, and there's 40 people standing out there waiting for a job that morning. They just stand out there. They want you to come by and give them a job for a day. That's all they want. I think they do this because they don't have a full-time job, but they're standing out there looking for a way to go to work. And that's what I think, of, I, that's what I think about when I think about this. They're day laborers, and in the same way, back then they did the same thing. Remember the parable of the vineyard owner in Matthew chapter 20. He went to the marketplace to hire the workers for the day to work in his vineyard. Same same concept here. He went to the marketplace to hire the workers for the day to work in his vineyard, and the people that gathered at the marketplace, they were all poor. They were poor. They, they didn't have steady jobs or a way to make a living, and so they were hired daily to be paid at the end of each day before the sun sets. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 15? The law says, You shall give him his wages at the end of the day before the sun sets. Why? Because he's poor. And he depends on his money. He won't eat that night. He don't have a steady paycheck. He don't have a steady job coming in. He's poor. He works daily. So you pay him at the end of the day so what he can do what? He can feed his family. He can feed himself. Right? Otherwise, he'll do what? He'll cry out to Yahweh. And you'll be held guilty for not paying him. And that's exactly what James says here. Because you have withheld their wage, they have cried out to Yahweh of hosts, or Sabaoth, is what it probably should be translated, the word host or Sebioth, which means Yahweh of the armies. That's what the word Sebioth means. As those who are under Yahweh's leadership and protection. So they cry out to the one who defends them, and they cry out, and, his, and their outcry has reached his ears, and he is furious with how you, the rich, have treated the poor, and therefore weeping and wailing is coming to you. Remember a couple sermons ago we talked about the judgment you have on somebody, and 
whatever you, however you judge somebody, that'll be that'll be the judgment that's used on you. When we talked about we talked about how how somebody would would go before the judges of Israel and if they accuse somebody of something, whatever the penalty was for that for that accusation, if that person was found guilty, whatever the penalty was that's to be carried out on the one that was accused, if if the the accuser was found to be a liar and falsely accused somebody, then the penalty that was to be used on the one that was accused is now used on the one, the accuser. Well, the weeping and the wailing that he's been hearing from the poor, the outcry of the poor, the ones that are suffering that they can't eat, they can't feed their family, now it's reached his ears. And he says to the rich, he says the weeping and the wailing is coming to you. But you've, you've taken what belongs to the poor and the needy, and you've fattened yourself. And now get ready, because the weeping and wailing is coming your way. Let's read verse 5. It says, you have lived luxuriously on the land and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter. To put it simply, you've not denied yourself of anything. You've given yourself every luxury. You started off with small things, and before you know it, you've given yourself a life of luxury and pleasure until it turns into heaping up earthly treasures. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 5 through 6, it says this. It says, the real widow left all alone has put her hope in Yahweh. And she continues, day and night, in her petitions and prayers. However, she who is self-indulgent is dead, is dead even while she lives. Luxury feels good, but it's only for self-gratification. Need I remind you that Yeshua didn't even have a place to lay his head? He certainly wasn't given to luxury and excess. But James is painting a picture for us, saying you haven't denied yourself. Anything with all of the luxury, but you only fatten your hearts for the day of slaughter. That's what you've done. Now, that's a weird statement. Fatten your hearts for the day of slaughter. But has any, anybody in here ever raised a cow? You know? Rocket, Rocket used to raise pigs, lived on a pig farm. You fatten them up for what? The day of slaughter. The day of slaughter. The same way you raise a cow, you fatten them up for the day of slaughter. Here, he says you fatten your heart. Why does he say you fatten your heart? He's not talking about you fatten your body. You fatten what's, what, what drives the outward, the outward actions of a man's body. You fatten the wickedness of your heart. And you fattened it for the day of slaughter. You take a young bull and you feed him and you feed him and you feed him. And then one day you kill him. That's what you do. He's big enough and fat enough to be killed. Well, that's what James is saying here. They've indulged and indulged until they just got fat enough and just right for the judgment that awaits them. That's what they're ready for. The slaughter is the judgment. So he's saying you fatten your hearts for your selfish indulgence and luxury, but only to be led to the slaughter of judgment. Now again, I don't think James is trying to tell us that we can't have things. That's not the intention here. James is not saying you can't have things. But he is saying, I, I think he's saying, don't prosper yourself and hoard your blessings while your fellow brothers suffer. That's the intention. Let's look at verse 6. It says, You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man, and he does not resist you. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous man. He does not resist you. In other words, you have condemned and killed the just man. Hoarding your riches and greed led to the fraud of unjustly robbing from those who have made you rich to begin with and then that fraud led to your self-indulgence of useless spending for your own pleasure. 
And self-indulgence becomes so consuming that you will literally do anything to sustain the lifestyle that you built for yourself. You'll condemn and kill. And the implication here is that they use the court system to condemn and to kill. They condemn the just. You have condemned and killed the just, it says. See, Yahweh established a righteous court in the law. A righteous court. A judge was not to take a bribe or be partial in his decision. They were to always seek justice. But in, Israel his, but in Israel's history of their court system, they were always, and there was always injustice. Isaiah talks about it. Micah talks about it. Amos talks about it. Jeremiah talks about it. All the prophets just about talk about it. And so it was common for someone who had money to buy the courts so that they can, could continually progress while someone of a lower stature falls by the wayside. That was the idea. You just pay the court system off. You win. He loses. The little man can't defend himself. And, and everything keeps rolling downhill. Pretty much the same way it is today in our courts. Ain't right, Dan? Same way it is today. <laughs> Usually the one with the most money wins. And so the point James is trying to make is you started out building fortune for yourself and then you begin to hoard it or pile it up. And before you knew it, you're defrauding others by robbing them. Rather than paying their daily wage, you're keeping that. You're, they're reaping your fields. They're bringing in your harvest, but you're not giving them their money. If they, if they were to drag you off into court, you win, you buy your way off of, buy your way out of it, you got too much money. In order to maintain your life of luxury, you do all these things. So while the rich man excels, the poor man falls, and the worst part of it all is that he doesn't even resist you. The last part of verse 6 says, he doesn't even resist you. This poor man that has been abused because he is working for you to keep you rich, he doesn't even resist you. The innocent poor man is destroyed for the sake of fulfilling the lust of the wicked wealthy, and he doesn't even, he doesn't even fight back. He doesn't even resist. Maybe he's just a faithful man that believes that Yahweh will deliver him out of his out of his troubles. Or maybe he's like our master and is willing to suffer the wrath of the wicked in order to go another mile or to turn the other cheek. Either way, James says that it says that it says that he doesn't even resist you. This man that is justified in the sight of Yahweh is judged and murdered because of the money that is obtained through the wicked schemes of the wealthy. You know what though? He'll only die the first death. The second death belongs to the rich. The second death belongs to the rich. There's two deaths. We'll die an earthly death. Every one of us will unless Yeshua comes back before we die soon. However, it's the second death that we're worried about. The second death is the one that we have to, that we have to not die. And it says the rich will die the second death. <clears throat> the day of judgment where the wicked, wealthy, will perish. Now, like I said earlier, folks, I don't believe that it's wrong to have money or even nice things. But it is wrong to hoard them when your brother is in need and you just store them up, you know. Or it's hard, it's, it's wrong to hoard them for lack of faith. It shows no faith in Yahweh that he can constantly provide what you need. It's also wrong to steal or rob to get there, and it's definitely wrong to kill to keep it, you know. So there's a difference in being wealthy and being wicked in your wealth. There's a lot of difference. A lot of people were wealthy in the, in the Scriptures. A lot of people were wealthy. One thing 
that I've learned, or I thought about today, most of the people that were wealthy were wealthy because it was given to them. Not because they spent their whole life trying to build a force of wealth. They, they didn't try to build that up necessarily. Abraham, Job, I don't know about Job. We don't hear a lot about Job prior to when the book starts. But, but Abraham, his wealth was given to him by Yahweh. All the kings inherited their wealth for the most part. Solomon built a kingdom that was, that was pretty big. But most of the kings, their wealth was inher- inherited by Yahweh's blessing. Yahweh gives it to them. But I don't know that so many people built a wealth for themselves um, because I... I'm not saying that it's, I'm not even saying that it's wrong, and I, and I probably shouldn't shouldn't go here. But um, I don't think that we should concentrate our life on building wealth or building building something prestige for ourselves. Be satisfied where you always got you at. Work hard, you know. Don't be a don't be don't be lazy. Don't be a sluggard. Work hard. Do the best. Take it, take advantage of the opportunities that Yahweh lays in front of you. But remember where they come from. See, we're all blessed with abundance. Every one of us are blessed with an abundance. Every one of us in here has more than what we need. Every one of us. Every one of us in here is considered rich compared to somebody else. But it's what we do with our wealth that counts. It's what you do with it. Frankie says it all the time. Give, and I guarantee you'll always have it to give. He couldn't be, he couldn't be more accurate. I'll, I'll testify to that. I'll testify to it. If you, if you will give it away, I promise you, you won't run out of things to give. I promise you. Don't, don't store up treasures on earth and get caught up in self-indulgence. Remember 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. It says, The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil, but the love of money is. James says, We're, We fatten our hearts for slaughter because of it. Let's be sure to share, to give to those in need, and don't store up your treasures while your brother's in need. Understand that as robbing him, you are robbing your brother if he has a need. And you can't help. You can't help, but you choose. You can help, but you choose not to. Remember, it's not wealth that is sinful. It's the misuse and the abuse of it. The wicked wealth. That's what's sinful. If Yahweh's entrusted you with a little, invested in the kingdom, in the souls of His saints, your brethren, so that they may be blessed, just as you are. We shouldn't all eat. We shouldn't one of us eat steak and the rest of us eat bologna sandwiches. Let's all let's all eat hamburgers, you know. There's a there's a way that there's a way that we can be blessed by Yahweh and bless other people. But invested in his kingdom. Invested in his kingdom so that we can all share in the riches of Yahweh. All right, let's stand and pray. Yahweh Father, thank you for this day, Father. Thank you for your blessings and oh your mercies. Father, you have blessed us all. We're all blessed to be here tonight, Father. We're blessed to be standing here, to have our health and our families, Father. We're just so thankful for all that you've given us. Father, I pray that you make us good stewards of what you've given us. Father, like the parable of the talents, Father, if you give us something and you bless us with something, let us make sure that what you've given us we use in the way that you would that you would benefit from it. Father, let us go out into into your kingdom and and uh, bless those around us, all of our brothers and sisters. And Father, let us, let us always be mindful of you and, and how we get the things that we get. Father, that you're the, that you're the provider of all things. And Father, you've, you've, you've provided us with so much stuff and also with the, with the redemption blood of your own Son. So Father, we're thankful for that today. We give you praise for, 
for him and his life and all that you've done for us, Father. We just lift him up today and, and uh, glorify him or try to glorify him with our actions. Father, help us to do that and make sure that we're, we're what you would have us to be. Father, we love you and we're thankful, thankful for you and we give you all the praise and glory. We ask all this in his name. Amen.